Good morning. It is so good to be here with my family, my church family. Uh, you're looking good. It's September. It's Labor Day weekend. The sun is shining. It's the fair has started, and you're in church. You get extra Jesus points today for that. I, uh, we don't. If you're visiting, we don't really give Jesus points. Just so you know, Jesus has paid all the points. So, um, but I'm just joking. <clears throat> um, but uh, so it's a pleasure for me to speak uh, on this weekend. Here's a little inside baseball for you. Um, inside story. Uh, you know, Labor Day weekend is one of those weekends where uh, uh, the lead pastor looks at his calendar for the year, and he says, "Okay, when I, when am I when do I not want to speak?" <laughs> Labor Day weekend. That's when I'm, I'm going to have somebody else speak that Sunday, and uh, and usually the Sunday after Christmas they'll go. Okay, I think the youth pastor will speak there, and. Um, in fact, Andrew probably has spoken on that day, Sunday a few times for me. But anyway, I, uh, I, I'm honored to be here, and, and I'm glad that you're here this morning and uh, looking forward to what God wants to say to us this morning. <clears throat> I, I want to say to you, uh, first of all, that my role currently, uh, I'm the Pacific uh, Region Open Bible uh, Regional Director, so I oversee the churches for Open Bible on the West Coast, and uh, I just want to say thank you to you, uh, my church family, our church family together, just for your investment in the kingdom. Now, uh, you you probably know this, maybe you don't know this, but but your reach goes beyond Puyallup and and into um, up and down the West Coast and across the world. Last week, of course, Tammy Swales was here. It was great to hear Tammy, our missionary to Ukraine, and. Uh, we have missionaries in 46 countries across the world uh, reaching hundreds of thousands of people every, every single year for Christ. And uh, we're planting churches. We've got a new church being planted in, south, in Bend, Oregon, on the south side of Bend, Oregon. That's just getting ready to get started. Uh, we got internship programs going. We got 15 Discover Ministry School campuses starting this fall, September 13th. You're, you've been a part of that. And so I just want to say thank you uh, just for your part because... You are part of, of helping reach people for Christ beyond this community. Every time you give, uh, every time you participate, you're reaching people for Jesus. So thank you for that. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, and I'm also just grateful uh, to be able to be here. And uh, I wish I was able to be here every Sunday. Um, uh, but I'm not able to be here every Sunday, and I miss it when I'm not able to be here every Sunday. And I'd just like to ask you to pray for me um, the next, over the next, I'm going to be in eight different churches, speaking at eight different churches, uh, in different places over the next 11 weeks. So I won't be here. And so the reason I'm not here sometimes is not because I don't like Pastor Dustin. Uh, I love him, uh, but the, just it takes me away sometimes. And so I appreciate your prayers because I miss my church family when I'm not here. Uh, and I'm so grateful. Uh, to be able to be here when I can be here. This morning, uh, as, as when Pastor Dustin asked me if I would share, I prayed about, God, what would you have me say to, to celebration? What would you have me say to my church family on this Sunday? And, and I have messages that I'm preparing to preach in different places. And, and, um, but I felt like God spoke really clearly about, here's what I want you to say to celebration on this particular day. And it came very clearly to me. It's a little different than the kind of message that I would normally bring. Um, I'm not going to 
unpack a particular passage of Scripture. I'm not going to take a Bible story and work through it. I'm just going to share some thoughts this morning that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart to share with you this morning. So I, I want us to pray and just ask the Lord to uh, speak to us this morning. So let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, it's great to be um, in your presence. It's great to be with family. God, I'm so grateful for what you're doing in celebration and beyond here through the work that you've called them to. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, as we talk about you, that you would speak really clearly, that our hearts would be open. Lord, that our our will would be moldable to be transformed into your image. Lord, that you'd set me aside, that our eyes would be fixed and focused on Jesus today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start with the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 31 through 39, uh, coming out of the New Living Translation this morning. And as I read this passage, I want you to let it just soak into your spirit. I want you to to let it just um, captivate your heart and your mind. Sometimes we read Scripture and we sort of read it, kind of just go through it. Um, but I want you to just, as best you can, just embrace this passage of Scripture for you today because it's an incredible passage of Scripture. Eight, Romans 8, verses 31 to 39 says this. It says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. He was raised to life for us. And He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Think about that. Jesus died for us. He was raised for us. And He's pleading for us right now. Now listen to this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, if you're going through something, if you're struggling with something, if you're being persecuted, if you're going through trouble, if you're going through tri- tribulation, if you feel like you're dying every day, does it mean he no longer loves us? It goes on to say, verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. I want you to hear that again. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us 
from God's love. Not even the powers from hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to let that soak into your heart today. That there is, If you don't hear anything else today, and you just walk away with the reality that there is nothing that will ever separate you from God's love for you, then mission accomplished. God loves you. And there is nothing you're going through that means He doesn't love you. He loves you. There's a saying um, that is used sometimes. When, when there's a person that comes, you know, that, that, that just is, a, is either just a really, really big personality or they walk into a room and they suck out all the energy out of the room, you, you know those kind of people? Don't, don't elbow the person next to you. That's not nice. But, but you, know, you know, there's people that come into a room and they just take all the energy just, or, or their personality just so big. There's a saying that sometimes is used about those people. Oh, man, he's a lot. <laughs> right? He's a lot or she's a lot. Or sometimes people say, are you sure you want me around? Because I'm a lot. Um, I just want to say to you this morning, God can handle you. If, if you feel like you're a lot, God can handle you. God can handle you. God can handle your questions. Anybody ever have questions that you don't understand because you're going through stuff in your life? God can handle your questions. One of the things I love about the book of Psalms is the book of Psalms reminds us that God can handle the raw and the real stuff in life. The book of Psalms give us, gives us permission to ask the questions that sometimes we think, oh, is it okay for me to ask those questions? Because there are questions asked in the book of Psalms like, God, why, when I'm going through this, why have you turned your face from me? God, why is it that those people who seem to be doing evil things seem to get blessings, and when I'm trying to do all the right things, I'm going through all this trouble? The psalmist asks these questions, and Psalms, the beautiful thing about the fact that Psalms is in the Bible, it gives us the permission to be able to ask questions, and God can handle your questions. Sometimes our sanitized version of Christianity that happens, sometimes we think some of our questions or emotions are off limits. They're not to God. God can handle your questions. Psalms destroys the perception that we can't ask questions of God. The Bible is full, in fact, of unsanitized reality that reminds us that God is not afraid of our humanity and, and wants us to actually come to Him with it. Sometimes we get the feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can say that to God. Is it okay for me to ask that of God? You know what? He already knows you have that question anyway. It's okay. He wants you to come to Him. He can handle your questions. There's a guy in the book of the Bible named Job, a whole book written about him. In fact, chronologically, it's the first book we have historically that was ever written, and it's interesting that that's the first book uh, historically that we have. But in that book, uh, Job, Satan comes to, there's this, there's this dialogue between Satan and God, and Satan comes to God and says, listen, if I, if I start giving trouble to one of your people, they're just going to renounce you. And, and God is like, God says to, to Job, oh yeah, have you considered my servant Job? Now, He's did this because Job is so faithful. But I don't want to be that guy, right? 
that when, when, when God is thinking, oh, who should, who should I point out that maybe Satan could attack? I don't want to be that guy, but Job was that guy. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Job go through, goes through all kinds of trouble. He loses his family. He loses his crops. He loses his, his cattle. He loses uh, everything. He gets sick. He gets boils all over him. He, it's, it's terrible. He goes through horrible tragedy. And toward the end of that book, Job has some questions for God. He says, God, I could understand if, if, if I was not living in integrity. I could understand if I had been unfaithful, but why, why in the midst of all this is this happening? And you know, when you read the book of Job, God actually doesn't answer his questions. Because sometimes we can go to God with questions, but, but we can't get clear answers. Um, but what God does give him is perspective. God gives him perspective. In fact, sometimes when you read kind of the way God responded to Job, it feels a little insensitive. It feels just a little insensitive. He, he says things like, yeah, Job, well, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, were you there? But what, what God gives him is perspective because I think, uh, though God doesn't always offer answers, I, I, don't, I don't know that in our humanity, if God were to give us the answers, we could fathom the answers yet. But what God does give us is His presence. What God offers us is this, but one of the scriptures that has become dear to me over these last several months is Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. But there are some times when we're going to go through some things, and it's going to cause you to have some questions. God is not afraid of your questions. God can handle your questions. John the Baptist, John the Baptist John the Baptist is the guy who was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one who prepared the way. He was the one who came out of the wilderness and said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He's the one that said, the Messiah you've been waiting for, he's coming, he's here. He said, he's the guy that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist, preaching repentance, he says, I, I, I baptize with water, but there's coming one after me who will baptize you with fire of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist... This is the guy who proclaimed Jesus. And in John, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in Luke 7 and among other places, John the Baptist, he's in prison because he's, he's been thrown in prison. His, his he's facing his mortality. His life is being threatened. He sends his disciples to Jesus to ask a fascinating question. John the Baptist asks this question. He, sa he says to his disciples, ask Jesus this question. Go find Jesus, ask him this question. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? John the Baptist. Of all the people who would ask that question, John the Baptist, the one who's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Why is he asking that question? Because John's going through some stuff. And what does Jesus say to, to them to tell him? He says, you know what, go back and tell John the Baptist, what you've seen, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, testify of me. And then you know what, John, what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He doesn't condemn John the Baptist for his lack of faith or for asking that dumb question, which was not a dumb question. What he says, actually, he starts talking about John the Baptist, and he says, there's no one born among women who is greater than John the Baptist. The guy who asked the question, are you the one? Or should we wait for someone else? God's not afraid of your questions. God can handle your questions. You know, the people that make me the most nervous 
are the ones who have no questions. Those people make me nervous. They have nothing more to learn, have it all down, have it all, God all completely figured out. There have been times in my life when I've been that person. Like, I got this down. I got this dialed in. I got God figured out. I have a lot of questions. Life, circumstances, when things don't go the way you thought they should, all these things make, make us evaluate what we have believed about God. When, when my wife got sick, um, it, some of you may not know, my, my, my wife uh, of 36 years, I lost my wife in February from breast cancer. She, she got sick, she, she kicked it, um, she fought it, came back, and then she got sick again. And when she got sick this last time, and when I lost her, it has made me ask a lot of questions and has forced me to clarify, what do I really believe about God? But you know what? God can handle those questions. And as I continue to learn and as I continue to get older in my faith and I grow, I've had to question some of my own previously held beliefs about God. And I'm learning that God is far bigger than the box that I have too often tried to contain Him in. And... Uh, in my limited understanding, and, and that gives me grace for others on the journey. God can handle your questions. And God can handle your emotions, too. God can handle your emotions. If the Psalms, again, if the Psalms do anything for us, they give us permission to feel. <laughs> you, see, you see in the Psalms, you know, these expressions of anger and immense joy and frustration and confusion, and you see all this emotion expressed in, in the book of Psalms. One of the things that I've had to learn in this particular season in my life that, I, that has been told to me a few times is, Chris, you've got to lean into your emotion. My wife used to say to me, Lisa used to say, uh, when we were talking about something, and I would, you know, I would give her the perception it didn't bother me, she'd say, well, of course it doesn't bother, me, bother you. You have no feelings. Because <laughs> I have that sort of Norwegian stoic thing that goes on in me. And, um, and, but, you know, I got to tell you, uh, as my kids got older, <laughs> as my kids started moving out, all of a sudden, I, all this emotion starts bubbling up in me. I start crying all the time. I'll watch a, I'll watch a show about a car being restored, and, and it, it comes back to life, and it's given back to its owner, and I'm crying watching. <laughs> um, God can handle your emotions. And... Uh, when I come here on Sundays, I'm so grateful when I can come here to my church family. And, and if, if you're close to me or you're around me during worship, I'm often just a crybaby. I'm just crying. Um, because, because I've had to learn how to lean into my emotions. And it's good and it's important for us to feel deeply. And I, I want to say to you, church family, your church family can handle your emotions too. You don't have to, you don't have to hide it. This is a place where if you're feeling, it's okay to feel. There's always been a debate about whether or not God is an emotional being. Augustine called him the unmoved mover. But Jesus in his humanity demonstrated for us the full gamut of emotion from joy to sadness, from anger to uh, rejoicing, from laughter to weeping. Jesus demonstrated it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says Jesus was troubled to the point of death. 
He asked the question, God, if, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. And then on the cross, he asked this gripping question for God. And it's a quote of Psalm 22 when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt deeply. Jesus asked questions. Jesus. In our spiritual formation, there are historically three dimensions of that historical, uh, I mean, of that uh, spiritual formation. There's right beliefs. So that's, that's called orthodoxy. It's, it's, it's those core historic beliefs handed down to us from, all, from the Word of God all the way back uh, from the apostles. These are things like, you know, uh, God as the Creator, that Jesus Christ is God the Son, that there is one way to salvation as through Jesus, the, the inspired uh, authoritative Word of God. These core truths, that's the first dimension of orthodoxy. Then there is the uh, second dimension, and I mean the first dimension of spiritual formation. The second dimension is orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is is right living. This is following the example of Jesus in the world and living that out uh, in everything that we do. And then the then the third aspect of spiritual formation is is right feeling or right affection. That's called orthopathy. So the orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. That is the direction of our heart and, and feelings. And it's important that we need to feel. It's important that we, that we feel. You do feel, whether, you, whether you, you know, you do feel, but it's okay to be honest about our feelings. But we also have to be careful that our feelings don't dictate who God is or how He should act. Orthodoxy tells us that. Our beliefs tell us who God is. And, and, and our mo- but our emotions come into play. Our feelings need to be hitched to right belief, right? Too often what happens is we will react to somebody who has right belief, but they have terrible orthopraxy. So they have right belief, but they have terrible way of living. And, and, and they stand strong maybe on their theological beliefs or on their doctrine or all, on their understanding of the word, but they act like a jerk. Right? They're, they're just, there are some of those people out there. They're mean, they're harsh, abusive in their tone or language, controlling, whatever. And maybe you've grown up with or around somebody or around people like that. So rather than finding God in the emotion of that or in the woundedness of that, we throw out the belief that was connected to it out of reaction. And we say things like, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Because somebody who maybe had a perspective, a perception of right belief had terrible orthopraxy. And then emotionally we react to that. We say, then I'm not having any of it. We throw the whole thing out. But often people aren't leaving the church because of the core truths about Jesus. They're leaving because of bad orthopraxy. People who call themselves Christians have been cruel or mean or abusive. And so they begin making theological decisions because of emotional motivations. So our orthopathy needs to be connected to our orthodoxy. And then our orthopraxy needs to live out that belief in honesty. And sometimes we're just hurting. Sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we're angry or we're grieving. And circumstances may make us want to take that out on God. But you know what? God can take it. God can take it. Rather than let those emotions alienate us from God or dictate what He is like, He wants us to find Him in those wounds. 
He hasn't changed. God hasn't left. We find this in the Psalms. And the pattern of the psalmist is that the psalmist cries out to God, God, why is this happening? Or, God, will you just dash my enemies against the rocks? (laughs) They say things like that. But the psalmist always comes back to this place of, but I will trust in you because you are the Lord or you are, you know, I could, I, you, you are my Savior, whatever that. He could come back to, when you don't understand what God is doing, you go back to who God is. God can handle your, your, your questions. He can handle your emotion. And God can handle your sin. God can handle your sin. There's a guy in the book of the Bible in the New Testament named Saul. And um, there was another, another gentleman named Stephen. We read about Stephen in Acts chapter 6, 7. Uh, you can see about him. Stephen was the first deacon appointed in, in, the, in the Bible. And he was a man, the Scripture says, he was full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And Stephen uh, begins serving the church, and he begins talking and proclaiming Jesus. He gets a, a arrested because the religious leaders of the day were hearing Stephen talk about this, this Jesus, this Savior, this Lord, this new Lord, and they were threatened by this. And so they, uh, they arrest him, and then they actually bring him, you know, when, when, when Stephen, you know, lays out the history of God's story, and it culminates in Jesus being God the Son, then... Uh, they they call him a blasphemer and they take out stones and they stone Stephen and they stone him to death and what would happen in a stoning is is they would the, the people would pick up these stones they would cast them at the person until the person was unconscious and if the person hadn't died it would, they would they would grab a large boulder that took several people and they would either either drop that boulder on the person's chest or on their head to finish the job it was brutal it was horrible terrible. And the scripture says that this guy named Saul stood by and heartily approved of Stephen's death. This is Saul, heartily approved of Stephen's death. And then Saul went door to door looking for Christians, pulling them out of their home and putting them in jail, which was in that day often just a big deep hole in the ground that they would put him in. And he actually thought, Saul did, he actually thought he was doing God's work. He was well known for his zealous persecution of the followers of Jesus. This is Saul. This is what he was doing. He was murdering and standing by and approving of the murder of Christians. But that wasn't too much for God. God redeemed his zeal, renamed him Paul, and turned him into a missionary. He wrote more than uh, just about half of the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul did. And even after God changed his life, because of his reputation, the other disciples were afraid of him. That was how harsh Paul was. But it wasn't too much for God. Paul was a lot. Paul was a lot. But he wasn't too much for God, and neither are you. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've really blown it. Maybe you've blown it over and over again. Maybe you've blown it in ways nobody knows, that on the outside everything looks really good, but you know you've just blown it. Paul understood that too. He said in Romans 7, the things I want to do I don't do, the things I don't want to do I keep doing, it's the sin in me. This is after Jesus had got a hold of him. 
I want to do what is right, but I keep blowing it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God can handle your sin. In fact, you aren't too much for God. God has handled your sin. Jesus took that sin on the cross, all of it, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. It is paid for. He took it. He conquered it. There is no condemnation. He wants you to be free of it. God can handle your sin. And God can handle your journey. Let me tell you about one other person in Scripture. And it's Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a lot. You read about him. He was a lot. A free-spirited, rough-around-the-edges fisherman. He followed Jesus around for three years. At times, Peter showed remarkable faith and courage, asking Jesus, when Jesus is walking on the water, asking Jesus to let him come out there and walk on the water with him. And he, and he did for a little while until he sunk and saw the waves and got afraid. He's the one who... When Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus is like, yes, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. And then in the next paragraph, the next paragraph after that, Jesus tells them he's going to be persecuted, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, and he's going to rise again in three days. And Peter rebukes Jesus, and then, Peter, then Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So in one paragraph... Peter's like, yes. Jesus' is like, yes, you did the right thing in the next paragraph. Get behind me, Satan. This is such a picture of Peter. Another time he pulls out his sword to defend Jesus, cuts the ear off of the soldier. Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword away, heals the guy's ear. Peter's the guy who declared, even if everyone else denies you, even if all these other losers deny you, he didn't say that, but even if everybody else denies you, I would never deny you. But when Jesus went to the cross, Peter's hiding and denying, denied him three times, of course. But Jesus, after his resurrection, found Peter, calls him to the shore, has breakfast with him, reaffirms his love, his purpose for Peter's life. And then Peter, after being filled with the Spirit, after Jesus has ascended, Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, becomes one of the most powerful pillars of the early church. He lives up to his name, Peter, Petra, the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This is Peter. But even so, even after being filled with the Spirit and walking in that power and in that authority and, and, and beginning to build the church, even after that, he still bumbled along the way because Paul had to call him out for his hypocrisy. And you get to read about it. <laughs> he calls him out publicly for his hypocrisy. And you get to read about it in Colossians chapter 2 or Galatians chapter 2. Peter, this is the guy that the cartoons place at the entrance of the pearly gates. He's the guy we're going to check in with, right, when we go into, <laughs> into heaven. He, he's the one known as St. Peter, who's attributed with being the central figure of the start of the church as we know it today. Even Peter had a bumpy journey. God can handle your journey. Sometimes he was strong. Sometimes he was weak. Sometimes he had great courage. Sometimes he was afraid. But he kept following Jesus. And God could handle his journey. And He can handle yours too. Sometimes you're doing great. Sometimes you're feeling strong. Sometimes you have faith. Sometimes you're really disciplined. And I know other times you feel weak. You have doubts. You have fears. 
you get lazy, you get off track. But God can handle your journey. God does not give up on you. After a challenging conversation that Jesus had with his followers that talked about, here's what it's going to take to be my follower. Here's, a, here's the understanding. It was a hard conversation. Many of them couldn't handle it, and actually they stopped following him. And then Jesus asked those that remained with him in that moment a question. It's in John chapter 6, starting at verse 66. We have it here on the screen. And it says this, at this point, Jesus turned away and deserted, I'm sorry, at that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter, here's Peter, he replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom else would we go? When Lisa was going through all of her treatment and all the difficulty in, in her sickness, people would ask her and talk to her about, how are you doing in your faith? How, you, how does this affect your perspective of God and, and your relationship with Jesus? This was the scripture she would often point to. She'd say, you know, I've, I've thought about that, and the question I ask is the same question that Peter asked. To whom else would I go? He's the one that's the life giver. Jesus is the one that's the life giver. Worship team, come on up. God can handle you. But don't give up on Him. Peter asked the right question. To whom else... To whom else would we go? There's nobody else who can carry you through this light and in life and into the next except Jesus. There is nobody who else who can satisfy the longing of your soul except Jesus. There is nobody else that will ever be ever present with you in the darkest moments of your life except Jesus. There is nobody else that can give your life the purpose and meaning that you were created for except Jesus. He loved you into existence. And He will walk you through it. One thing I have... It's so critical for you to understand that your, your life, that your purpose, that your meaning, that your identity is... is, is is found when you find Jesus. It's so, so critical that you realize that everything you go through, that Jesus can be with you and walk you through it because the thing I have learned is if we don't find our identity in Christ, we will struggle to find our way in times of crisis. If you don't find your identity in Christ, you're going to struggle to find your way in times of crisis because in those times where you'll say, to whom else will I go? He's, he alone has the words of life. In these last six months, with all of the questions that I've had, with all of the emotion and all of the grieving, He's been there. Jesus has been there. The Lord is near. It has been the abiding presence of Jesus that has sustained me and that gives me reason to maintain my hope. He can handle you. He can handle your questions. He can handle your emotion. He can handle your sin. He can handle your journey. 
So I'd like you to stand with me, and I want to ask you this question. Is there anything? What have you withheld from God because you've believed that God can't handle it? Now, maybe, maybe you would say you believe that God can handle it, but functionally, in the way you've lived, in the way you've responded, in the way you've acted, um, how have you truly believed about whether God could handle it or not? What have you withheld from God because you have believed that God can't handle it? And the question I, I just want to ask you is, will you trust Him with it? Will you trust Him with it? Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you're just wrestling with, God, I just don't understand this aspect of my faith, or I don't understand why this is happening in my life right now. Maybe there's questions, and maybe you've been afraid, like, I don't know if I can say that because does that mean I'm not faithful? Listen, go to God with those questions. He wants you to go, with, go to Him. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you've just not trusted God with it, and you need to go to Him with it. I just want to encourage you as we sing this song, we're going to sing a song that says, come to the altar. What does it mean, come to the altar? We don't have an altar, you know, built up here. <laughs> um, in the Old Testament, they had altars. It was a place where they would bring their sacrifices to God. And in our understanding of it, it is this is a place where we can bring whatever it is we're withholding to God so He can take that. Uh, and, and what we understand now is that Jesus is our altar. So when we say, oh, come to the altar, what we're saying is we've got to come to Jesus. Bring that to Jesus. Whatever you're withholding, bring it to Jesus. And so as we sing this song, I want to just encourage you to ask this question. Ask the Lord God, is there something I'm withholding? And then bring it to Jesus. All right, so let's sing, and then I will close us up. Maybe if you've, as you've thought about that question, there are things that you know you've been withholding from God. Maybe you've, maybe you've just resisted um, and I just invite you to come, come to Him, come to the altar, give it to Him. And I want to pray for you. And so would you just bow your head with me? And um, if there's something that you're dealing with and you just need additional prayer today, I know that Pastor Dustin, Stephanie, myself, others would be happy, more than happy to pray. And while we don't have a, 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 an actual built altar here, sometimes this front area or we can find it just a place of prayer that can be our altar where we can you can say you know I just need to give this and I just need some prayer we'd be happy to pray with you um, but I want to pray with you even now Father there are people who perhaps are in this room or who are watching online today who are, are saying you know what I I just have some questions that I just need to come to God with I just need to be honest that's some emotion that I'm dealing with and I don't know what to do with it I haven't known where to express it and I just need Jesus, we need to give it to you. And Lord, I pray that they would find in that giving it to you, Lord, they would find the abiding peace and power of your presence while we may not find immediate answers, that there would be an assurance, that there would be a rebuilding of trust in you, a rebuilding of faith, that though we may not understand that you are still a good God, that you are still a trustworthy God, that you are still God, Lord, for those who are dealing with sin, that they just, they've just been struggling and they just can't seem to overcome it. And Lord, we ask the question that Paul asked, who should deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us the victory. And there is therefore now no condemnation in, in Christ. Lord, and I pray for those who are struggling with sin that this would be a moment of confession. 
where they would say, God, I confess my sin to you. Would you forgive me? And would you cleanse me again? Lord, I know you've paid for that sin on your cross. You've risen to give me victory over it, and I want to walk in the victory over that sin. And Lord, I pray they find freedom from that today. They find forgiveness in that today. Lord, they find life and purpose and hope again today as they, deliver, as they release that to you. Lord, we come to you, and I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, as you, as you go this week, I want to invite you to do this. Every day this week, just sit with God for a few minutes and ask these, these questions. God, what questions do you want to ask Him? What emotion do you need to release to Him? And what sin do you need to confess to Him? Just take a few moments each day this week. And just, what are the questions? What's the emotion you need to release to Him? And what sin do you need to confess to Him? And God will meet you there with His presence. All right? Have a great afternoon. Enjoy the sunshine. Have a great Labor Day. Thanks for being here today. Greet one another as you go. If you need prayer, please don't hesitate to come up, talk to Pastor Dustin, Stephanie, myself. Others will pray for you. God bless you. Have a great day.